have three outdoor services planned for this summer. First one will be next week and then in July and August as well. So uh, we invite you to be a part of, of serving. And, but also, you can have an outdoor service in your backyard any day of the week and invite some people over and just use the summer that way or invite someone up to the lake or go down, you know, or to the park together. Just be aware of each other and, and invite someone to do something with you this summer. I'd encourage you to do that. That's an important part of being the the body of, of Jesus Christ. If you've ever watched that show, Canada's Worst Driver, we, we could have our own like Lloydminster edition of that, I think, <laughs> some days when I'm driving up there. But oftentimes what happens is someone's driving and then they run into the pylon or the, the big barrel or whatever. And you know why? It's because they're steering where you're looking, right? Like, like you tend to, you know, if you're not you know, experienced driver, you're often where you're looking is where you will steer into. And the, the, the instructor or the, you know, the adjudicator will be like, where are you looking? You know, well, I was looking over there. Well, yeah, that's why you ran into that pylon or that barrel or that other car or whatever, right? You all know that one of the most dangerous places to drive is when there's been an accident. Why? Because everyone's looking at the accident, right? And they're not looking at the car in front of them or around them, right? And so we need to be aware. You know, where are you looking when you're driving because, and you know, navigating? Because there's always things that, that kind of pop up and you just got to be aware of. Some people probably shouldn't drive. I'm saying one of these ladies is this lady from South Korea. She really wanted to drive, 68 years old. She'd been trying for, for almost five years to, to pass the learner's exam. Uh, she kept going back, kept going back, kept going back, kept going back. She started in 2005. She finally got it in 2009. On her 950th try, she passed, got the 60% the, the required to get your learner's exam. Maybe... She shouldn't be driving. <laughs> but the problem is, all of us navigate life. And I think you, like me, are tempted to be distracted by life. The pressures of life. You feel it. At every stage, you have these distractions all around you. I'm thinking about these graduates. I mean, they're, they're like, yeah, an optimistic future, but with it, uh, I mean, uh, the potential for failure, right? So they're all like, yeah, let's jump into the future, but I hope I get a job. I hope I, you know, I get into the school. I, even, when I pass school, I was talking to two girls at the party uh, from Isaiah's class and very smart, you know, accomplished girls, and, and they're like, oh, I just hope I can, you know, pass those university classes next year. I mean, they're like 98% they're like average girls, but they, even they feel this pressure. Start having kids, and you wonder, oh boy, you know, am I a good parent? Can I be a parent? And 
And then you look at your, your income and your, and your salary and the money coming in and the money going out, and you're wondering, do I have enough to, to, to handle this? And you, the pressures, the pressures, you're distracted. You're distracted by all the, the social chaos out there. Right? I mean, there's just a ton of garbage just floating around. And the problem you and I have is we are exposed to all this information all the time. It's just so easy to see, and there's feeds coming at us, and snaps, and Instagrams, and blah, 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 you know, messages, and we're just like, we're distracted. Where are you looking? And you feel like, no matter how hard I try, the, the world just keeps getting more complicated, more difficult, more evil, more dangerous, more dark. And many Christians despair, and so they, they build large walls and, and they're around their, you know, and, and fences around their, their Christian lives and, and to protect their children and themselves, and they, they just kind of let other Christians in. If you don't have the card, you don't come in, and let's protect, let's live in this gated Christian community so that we can protect ourselves from the world, but you can't, because you're still using the internet, you're still watching the TV, and you're distracted. You're trying to find fulfillment in middle age. You're trying to find purpose in your retirement. You're distracted. You reach a point of success only to discover that what you thought you'd feel when you reach there isn't there. And you're distracted. Your marriage is not as fulfilling as it once was, and you're, and you're distracted. And in all these situations, and many more that I could pile on top of there, the question is, where are you looking? And so I wanted to close our series with Revelation chapter 1, which is the final book of the Bible, written the last of all the books of the Bible, written by an apostle, a, a disciple, an eyewitness, a companion of Jesus Christ who saw his ministry, who saw, you know, who was there as death who saw his resurrection, who saw his ascension. Here is one of the, the elder statesmen of the early church. And he records for us the final vision. And that final vision is centered around, guess who? Who is it centered around? Send us a good answer. Jesus, whoa! Where are you looking? But understand, like this isn't probably 8095. It's the emperor Domitian who hates Christians. The legend or the tradition is that he actually um, threw the Apostle John into a cauldron of oil to kill him, and it didn't kill him. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to send him to the island of Patmos. Why? Because he's trying to stamp out Christianity. And, and, you, know, and he's, you know, he's persecuting, he's killing Christians, he's throwing them to the, to the lions. But then there's this old guy there. It's like, oh, yeah, I saw Jesus. I saw his empty tomb. I saw his ascending into heaven. And like, I can't stamp out Christianity as long as i got this old man walking around talking about Jesus. So, let's, you know, the legend is, now the Bible doesn't tell us that, but the Bible does tell us that he was sent to this island. He was permanently, at least in the mission's mind, removed. Okay, he can't influence things. It's not like they had the internet back then so he could blog from Patmos, right, and, you know, keep track of all of his followers. He didn't have that. You're out there. You're forgotten. You're, you're you know, just sidelined. See you later, John. Shut up. Quit doing stuff. Leave us alone. And, and then you wonder how the Apostle John felt. Wow, all these years of service, I'm trying to see, you know, lead the church, and, and I'm an influential, you know, elder to all these young Christians and churches, and then suddenly, shoo, sucked out of that and thrown onto a little island. Is this how my life is going to end? 
But it's not. Because God has a bigger plan. And so he writes in verse 1 of Revelation 1. The revelation, or literally that word really means the unveiling. The revealing of Jesus Christ. You know, it's like the curtain comes open. Here he is. Which God gave him to show his servants what must happen very soon. He made it clear by sending his angel to his servant, John. So you can see this is how it's transmitted. John sees this angel, he sees this vision, and he goes on in verse 2 and he says, who testified to everything that he saw concerning the word of God and the testimony about Jesus Christ. So what is this book about? Jesus. Where are you looking? Jesus. There he is in Patmos, sidelined, alienated, isolated, and yet in that place, God gives him this vision, which becomes the, the living word of God. I'm going to testify about the word of God and Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's the issue, right? We as Christians, we believe in the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, and his return. Many people, like, oh yeah, I can understand the crucifixion, I can understand the resurrection, but they kind of, it stops there. But this, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is him coming back. And so John says, oh yeah, yeah here's the final scene of the story for you. It doesn't end with just the, the crucifixion or just the resurrection or even just the ascension. It ends here. The unveiling. The revealing. And he says in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud. And blessed are those who hear and obey the things written in it because the time is near. Now, I don't know if you remember, verse 2, it said, he's coming soon. And then he says it again, the time is near. It's an inclusio. He's like, he wants you to, to realize, don't give up on Jesus. Some of you are tempted to give up on Jesus because life has disappointed you. Things haven't worked out the way they were supposed to. You have been hurt by people. You have been cast out of jobs that you weren't supposed to be cast out of. You have been treated poorly in school. You, you have experienced the failure of a marriage and, and wonder, like, I didn't do anything, but I just was abandoned in that situation. And, and you wonder, was God care? Does he, was he concerned? Maybe some of you have been through bad church situations, which really do sour your taste for, for all things Christian when you just see ugly, ugly Christianity. And then you read this, and he's like, Blessed are those who read, who hear, because the time is near. Now, maybe you, like me, are having a struggle because you're reading this and you're like, okay, he said it's coming soon. You said the time is near. And guess what? We're 2,000 years later. Where is he? And here is the tension of following Jesus. Soon is soon, but it's not always soon, right? Right? And you cling to the promises and you cling to the blessing even when you don't understand the timetable. And unfortunately, God loves to use this reality, but fortunately, of difficulties, of hardship to help form our character. I mean, remember, he sent his own son to die on a cross. Nothing you experience will be as bad as what Christ experienced for you, but you will experience some rough stuff in your life, some choppy water, 
Maybe even the ship will turn over and take on, you know, and start sinking. And you wonder, wow, where's Jesus? And, and he's there. And we need to keep looking for him and at him. And so God has a message for us from the book of Revelation. And he says that in verse 4, you'll see that, from John. To the seven churches that are in the province of Asia. Um, God never speaks to people that don't go to church. You understand? Like in the New Testament, they're, they're, no, that person doesn't exist. The Christian that doesn't go to church. That, that is not in the New Testament. That, uh, it's in our modern world, but it's not in the New Testament. Oh, they're a Christian, but they don't have a church. I don't find that person in the New Testament. He's speaking to churches. The Christians are part of these churches. And, and it's a message to them. He says, grace and peace to you from he who is, from he who was, and from he from who is still to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So he's got this, you know, well, who, who is this, is, was, and who is to come? Well, because in the next verse, we're not gonna, I won't go there, but the next verse talks about Jesus. Obviously, he's referring to the Father here. The eternal God is speaking to you a message of grace and peace, and the fourfold Holy Spirit, and he uses the term seven, because seven in the book of Revelation in the Bible is this number of completion and, and fulfillment. In the book of Isaiah chapter 11, it describes a spirit in seven different ways. There's a spirit of wisdom, spirit of this, spirit of that. So it's this fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's the fullness of the Godhead who's speaking to us, who's speaking this message. And then in verse 5 it says, and from Jesus Christ. So we walk into this mysterious throne room where we have this triune God who is one, but who is presented in the scriptures as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can I explain it to you? I just did. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. <laughs> but can I, can I really, no, no, you can't, because I, 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 I would have to be God in order to explain God fully. I can't, but I can tell you the scripture tells me that God is Father, that God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit, yet there's one God. And here in the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, there it is, the triune God, the one who is, who was, is, is to come, the sevenfold, you know, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. And so he's, he says, here's the Trinity. Jesus is an essential part of the Trinity. But now let's talk about Jesus. Who is Jesus? He describes him there. He's the faithful witness. The truth of the matter is, we long for a faithful witness. If you are like me, you've found that, who can I really rely on to tell me the truth? Educated people don't always tell me the truth. They tell me what they, they, they think that I want to hear or what they want me to hear. They don't tell me the truth. They tell me what they think I need to know. Politicians do the same thing. I will long for a faithful witness. You read about the circus and the debacle, which is the government north and south of the border, and you wonder, wow, what is the truth? And then I look at the book of Revelation, it says, oh, there is one person that will always tell me the truth, who is the faithful witness. In fact, in the letters to the churches, he describes Antipas, Antipas this guy who, who is known as the faithful witness who reflects Jesus Christ in his own testimony and life. And he calls us to be faithful witnesses. If you've heard of um, a guy named John Chrysostom, he was the, in the you know, third century, one of the church fathers. He was known as the golden-tongued preacher. He was from Antioch, and uh, 
which was Constantinople, and he preached, uh, he was sent to Constantinople, which is the, the, the seat of the Roman Empire, the eastern part of it. And he denounced the lavish extravagance of the rich and ruling class, and he condemned their excess, and it infuriated many, especially the emperor Eudoxia, who arranged for him to be exiled. And when he was told of his fate, this is what he said, what can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth and all of its fullness is the Lord's. Will it be the loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world and we carry nothing out. Thus all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes. I smile at its good things. Poverty I do not fear. Riches I do not sigh for. Death I do not shrink from. He was a faithful witness. Another man uh, 1555, and John Philpot uh, was a Protestant preacher of the gospel, and as Bloody Mary came to the throne, she was determined to stamp out Protestantism. Um, and she condemned him to be burned at the stake. And this is what he said. I am ready. God grant me the strength and a joyful resurrection. Philpott walked to the place of an execution on his own rather than having to be dragged to it. And when he reached it, he knelt down and kissed the stake at which he would be burned. The faithful witness. You see, it also talks about Jesus being the firstborn from among the dead. You see that in that verse there. We'll go back to it here in a moment. There we go. No, back it up here. There we go. The firstborn from among the dead. The firstborn was, the, was, was that primary position of honor in the family. And, and Jesus, because he rose from the dead, has this exalted status. And that, when we believe in him, are given the courage that we don't need to be afraid of death. I say to you, there is nothing in the health situation of this world that needs to f cause fear in your hearts. Because you, if you believe in Jesus, have this one in your vision. The firstborn from among the dead. So even guys like John Philpott can walk to the stake with courage. And many did. Because they serve the risen Christ. There was a guy named uh, Hugh Latimer in the 16th century. And he was preaching, and they heard that King, King Henry VIII was coming to his church. And so there's a little pressure there, right, because the king is going to be there. And, and you, know, I, what, you, know, you know, you don't want to offend the king, but then, you know, like, how, how do I preach this message? And so this is what he says. So he introduces his sermon. He began his sermon. He said, Latimer, Latimer. Do you remember that you were speaking before the high and mighty King Henry VIII who has power to command you to be sent to prison and who can have your head cut off if it will please him? Will you not take care to say nothing that will offend royal ears? He then paused and continued. Latimer, Latimer, do you not remember that you're speaking before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand before him, to whom one day you will have to give account of yourself? Latimer, Latimer, be faithful to your master, and declare all of God's word. <laughs> Eventually, he would be martyred by Queen Mary, Henry VIII's daughter. And that's the true story of Christians in the first century, and every century since then. Men and women today are dying for their faith. But let's go back to that verse. You see, he's the, he is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among them, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. That should encourage you. 
Do you understand that? Where are you looking? He rules our prime minister, our premiers, our local civil authorities, civic authorities. He is the ruler over them. Even if they don't acknowledge it, ultimately, he is the ruler of all. Where are you looking? Those that looked at Jesus are able to face even the, the worst earthly authorities possible and, and face death without fear. Why? Because they had their eyes set on Jesus Christ. And he describes his actions for our behalf right there in the end of that verse to the one who loves us. And he describes, well, how do we know Jesus loves us? He set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood. I mean, that's the, I mean, Jesus would say, greater love is no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And, and then he shows us. I'm not just going to preach this sermon. I'm going to demonstrate this for you. He goes to the cross. And on the cross, as he dies, he looks at you and me and says, I love you this much. It's an immeasurable love. It's an unquantifiable love. He loves you. And no matter what you've done, you can be set free from your sins because he paid the price. If you are religious, you think that you need to pay the price. But the scripture and the gospel teaches that Christ paid the price. You don't pay Jesus back. You don't earn it off. You don't, you know, work it off. It's not like a mortgage where you, you chip away at it. Christ paid for it once and for all on the cross. It's a beautiful thing. That's love. Jesus laying down himself for us. And then there in verse 6, it goes on. And he's appointed us as a kingdom, as priests, serving his God and Father, to whom be the glory and power forever and ever Amen. Isn't it interesting? Some people think of salvation as just sort of a, a reception. I just receive salvation. It's over, and that's true. You, you receive it. It's a gift. But then the other side of that is now that you've received this, you are now appointed, you're ordained. God puts his hands on you, so now be my hands and feet. Be my intercessors. Be my mediators in this world. Bring the gospel. Be my priests. Not priests like we religious people know it, but priests in a sense of we now represent him here on this we can't provide salvation or absolution from sins, but we can point people to Jesus. You are a priest to serve him. You are not saved just to do nothing. If you're doing nothing, you're not really experiencing everything that God has for you. You were saved to be set apart to serve him. The Old Testament priest was a whole tribe, a clan of people dedicated for service in the temple and the tabernacle. Their whole purpose, life, genealogy centered around this reality of we have been set apart for this sacred duty. And he uses this terminology here. He says, you are a sacred, set-apart people to serve me and my kingdom forever and ever. Amen. You could almost translate that, pointed us as kings and priests. Like we have this royal lineage and this, this priestly heritage that merged together in our salvation with Jesus Christ. Where are you looking? Your life does not consist of your job. 
It does not consist of how much money you have in the bank. It does not consist in what your body looks like or your hairstyle or the clothes you wear, the cars you drive, the properties you own. It does, that's not your life. If you're in Jesus Christ, he says, you're, you, your identity now forms around this reality of service and royal designation as an heir of God and a part of this eternal kingdom. You can serve him and you will forever and ever. Amen. And then there's this little interlude, verse 7. It's almost like a hymn that they maybe would sing in the early church. Look, he's returning with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. This will certainly come to pass. Amen. Now, you have to understand. You read this, you're like, oh, that's nice. But to someone who's living in a place where every time they put their head above the ground as a Christian, they get shot at, this is an encouragement. All the enemies of Jesus Christ and of God will come to face him, and they will face him with fear and tears. That their antagonism, that they will be held accountable for, and that Christ wins in the end. The glorious, you know, the clouds which represent, you know, you know the, the Shekinah glory, which was the, the very presence of God and the power and, the, and this, the, all, the, high, the height of God's, you know, exalted status. And there he is, he's coming. And yes, is, this will come to pass. So, you know, you, you're having a hard time in life. You're struggling with all the garbage that's going on culturally and socially and morally. And, and the book of Revelation invites you and me to look here. Where are you looking? The more you look at Jesus, the less you'll be worried about those things. I mean, you got to be concerned, vote properly, you know, speak up, do your thing. But understand, if you just focus on all the garbage, that's what will come out of your life. But if you focus on Jesus, he brings you to, to something different. And then he reminds you in the end there, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was, who's still to come, the all-powerful. But I have a picture here. This is the, uh, the letter alpha, I think. There we go. Alpha. It's the Greek letter for the A, right? So this is what's in the text. Alpha. And then, of course, and then we'll go to the next picture. Uh, the omega. That, that's the one to the right there. It's this kind of sign. It's the omega sign. It's interesting. In the actual text, he, he, he writes out the word alpha. A-L-P-H-A. Kind of, you know, translated into English. But when he gets to the omega, he just puts omega. It doesn't say O-M-E-G-A. It's just omega. It's, it's almost unfinished. It's like intentionally, as he transcribes this, he's like, yes, he, be, he began, but the, he, he's not, it, it's, it's the end, but it's not the end. It's the end that keeps going on. But everything in all of history centers on, I mean, let's go back to that verse, verse 8. I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God. In the end of Revelation, he'll refer to himself as the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus will. So Jesus is God. There's this definitive statement of here is the eternal Son of God declaring that he is the author, the sustainer, the Lord of all history. He was, he is, he is to come, and he is the all-powerful one. But maybe you, like me, are wondering, it doesn't feel like God is all-powerful right now sometimes. The pressures that are being placed upon, you know, just some of the structures of our society doesn't seem like Jesus is Lord. But then I look at Revelation 1 and I see this and I'm like, no, no, he is Lord. 
let us not get discouraged or despondent. Let's not build big walls and, and castles to protect ourselves. Let's just be aware who Jesus is. He is the coming one. At this great story, and this is how I'm going to close. Missionaries Dick and Margaret Hill were caught in China during the Japanese invasion. The couple lived with their two children in the inland town of Shinikyu. The village was tense with fear and every day brought terrifying reports of the Japanese advance. At the worst possible time, Dick developed appendicitis and he knew his life depended on making the long journey by rickshaw to the hospital. On January 15, 1941, with deep foreboding, Margaret watched him leave. Soon the Chinese colonel came with the news. The enemy was near. Townspeople must evacuate. Margaret shivered, knowing that one-year-old Johnny and two-month-old Margaret Ann would never survive as refugees. So she stayed put. Early the next morning, she tore the page from the wall calendar and read the New Day scripture. It was Psalm 56.3. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. The town emptied during the day, and the next morning, Margaret arose, feeling abandoned. The new verse on the calendar was Psalm 9, 9 verse 10. You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The next morning, she arose to the distant sounds of gunfire and worried about food for her children. The calendar's verse was Genesis 50, 21. I will nourish you and your little ones. An old woman suddenly came to the house with a pail of steaming goat's milk, and another struggler arrived with a basket of eggs. Throughout the day, sounds of warfare grew louder, and during the night, Margaret prayed for deliverance. The next morning, she tore, she tore the page from the calendar to read Psalm 56, verse 9. When I cry unto you, then shall my enemies turn back. The battle was looming closer, and Margaret didn't go to bed that night. Invasion seemed imminent, but the next morning, all was quiet. Suddenly, villagers began returning to their homes. The colonel knocked on her door. For some reason, he told her. The Japanese had withdrawn their troops. No one could understand it. But the danger had passed. They were safe. And maybe you feel like that. Just the pressure. The suffocating presence of, of all this stuff. And then, and then God invites us to turn to him. To look at him to focus on him, to center on him and find the encouragement, the strength, the resources that he will provide to those who trust him. And so that's how I wanted to end this series. Where are you looking? If you don't look to him, you will get in a wreck. You will hit the ditch. You will knock out a headlight or, you know, get a flat tire. It's going to happen, but if you keep your eyes on him, you'll navigate the storm, which is life. He is coming soon. Let us trust in him. Team, would you come up? We're going to close with a couple of songs. We want to just focus on Jesus as we end our service. We want to give him the, the final word, the final shout of praise. And so this is your chance to just refocus your own heart and soul. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm inviting you to believe in him. He died for you. He rose again. By believing in him, you can have the promise of eternal life and the promise of his soon return and his presence with you no matter what. He knows your financial situation. He knows your relational realities. He knows the health prognosis you've received. He knows all that stuff. And he's greater than all of them. Would you trust him 
today. Today, we're, gonna, we're just going to sing these songs. This is a song of reflection and of praise as we end our service. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and then this team is going to lead us as we sing today. God, you know everything that we are facing today. You know everything we're going to face tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next years. You are the God of history, of, of the past, of the present, and of the future. And this morning, we orient, we reorient, we refocus our lives on you. We look to you, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain, who loved us, who, who set us free by, the, by his own blood. We look to you, O oh Lord. Encourage our hearts, strengthen our hands. Give us your love that we might just walk through life in victory just as you are the victorious king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Team leader.